Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners. This episode is sponsored by italki. If you're looking for a one-to-one teacher for some English lessons, because I imagine you're learning English, right? You're trying to improve your English. Well, you could uh, get one-to-one lessons with a teacher. But how am I going to find a teacher, Luke? Just Where are they all? Well, there's loads on italki and you can check them out. They have loads of teachers that can help you with your English in many ways. Uh, or just you can find conversation partners. There's lots of options. It's really cool. And you can give italki gift cards as gifts. They're cards, you see, that allow your friends or family to take lessons um, on italki as well. That's why they're called gift cards. Uh, Anyway, all of that stuff is available. And remember, if you buy some talking time with italki uh, and you use my special link, then uh, you'll get a voucher worth uh, a free lesson, which is not bad. To get all that stuff, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. All right? Good. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, hello, audience members, listeners, lepsters. How are you out there in podcast land? I hope you're doing well. What's it like in podcast land at the moment? Is it all snow and like Santa and uh, snowmen and festive music, Christmas stuff? Is it like Lapland? Is Lapland looking like Lapland at the moment? You know what Lapland is, don't you? Um, I'm not sure, Luke. Can you just tell us briefly? Okay, Lapland is uh, where Father Christmas comes from. Santa Claus comes from Lapland, doesn't he? Where is Lapland? Is it a real place? He asked while Googling it. (laughs) Um, Okay, it's a real place. It's in Finland. Of course. I knew. Of course I knew that. I was just just testing you and you passed the test. Congratulations. Lapland is Finland's northernmost region, a sparsely populated area bordering Sweden, Norway, Russia and the Baltic Sea. It's known for its... I'll start that sentence again. It's known for its vast... Subarctic wilderness, ski resorts, and natural phenomena, including the midnight sun and and the northern lights, and it's also, as far as I'm aware, the home of Father Christmas, who is obviously real. Children, not that you're children. Anyway, maybe Lepland. You know what Lepland is? Oh, do I have to explain that too? He asked while googling it. No, I don't need to Google that one because it doesn't exist on Google. I think if you if you Google Lepland, I don't think it'll come up. No one's written a Wikipedia page for for that yet. Anyway, Lepland is the a sort of imaginary uh, country where all of my listeners come from. Lep, obviously, being Luke's English podcast. Podcast Land is actually Podcast Land is a very is a huge continent because there are many people 
living on podcast land. Some people live in podcast land who don't listen to Luke's English podcast, you see, because po- podcast land is populated by all podcast listeners. But Lepland is a specific region of podcast land only populated by Lepsters. Yeah. <laughs> Lepsters. Yeah, listeners to Luke's English podcast. Anyway, how's Lapland at the moment? It, does it look like Lapland? Is it all frozen? Or if you maybe you're in another part of Lapland that's kind of uh, hot and sunny. Anyway, I hope that you're doing all right out there uh, in Lapland, in podcast land. And um, this is episode 565, and it's called The Collins Words of the Year, part five, 2018, with Amber Minogue. So I hope you've been enjoying this series about the words of the year. I expect that you've already heard parts one to four, which were about the words chosen from 2017. It's now time to move on to the words from this year, from 2018. All right. Just a reminder, these are words selected by the makers of the Collins Dictionary for a list that they publish every year. They're words of the year. Uh, The words are chosen because they've been used a lot this year and because they touch upon some big issues of the moment. So this is interesting for Luke's English podcast because of the vocabulary involved, but also because it gives me a chance to talk about some trending issues of the moment on the podcast. Check out the page for this episode on the website where you will see the words so you can be sure that you know how they're spelt and uh, also various other notes, links, and videos. The notes, in particular, contain other words and phrases that you will hear in these episodes, like just other words and phrases that come up. And this can help you to learn those bits of language too, all right? So, you know, when you're listening to the podcast, if you hear certain bits and pieces, uh, certain phrases that I'm using, it's worth visiting the page for the episode because you might actually be able to see those words and phrases written out. Sometimes there are transcripts for parts of the episodes. Sometimes there are just notes. I'm trying to be helpful, you see, and adding a lot of those words on the page. So do check out the page for the episode. You might find the the, the words that you're looking for, okay? So now let's move on to the words from 2018 this year. Just two more episodes to go in this series. I'm very happy in this one to be joined by Amber. So I hope that you enjoy listening to the two of us wittering away and going off on various tangents and telling little stories and so on as we discuss the words of the year for 2018. So here we go. Right then, Amber. So, you ready to talk about the Collins Words of the Year 2018? I'm raring to go. You're raring to go. Yes. Nice nice expression. <laughs> that means she's just ready. I ready am. to talk about these these uh, words and phrases. When you looked at the list, did you know them all? Uh, uh, were they all phrases that you've in- encountered during the year? No. Really? There were some I'd never... I mean, I knew the thing, but I didn't know there was a word for it. Really? Okay. Yes. I wonder which ones. We'll, we'll find out as we go through the list yeah. uh, which ones. Uh, so the word of the year, this is the first word we're going to deal with, and then we'll deal with all the others afterwards. The first word is single use. Yeah. Right. Single use, which is defined by Collins as an adjective, meaning if something is single use, it means it's made to be used once only and then thrown away or destroyed. And single use as an adjective is almost always followed by the word plastic. 
Yeah. So we have single-use plastic, single-use plastic bags, single-use plastic cutlery, single-use coffee cups, single-use straws or single-use plastic straws that you stick in a drink to drink uh, drink the drink through. Single-use, also single-use hypodermic needles and yeah. other medical equipment and stuff. Um, in many cases, single-use is the way that the industry, like, you know, uh, companies that produce these things this it's the way that like the food industry says this is designed to be used once and then just thrown away that's kind of what single use actually means it's like it's supposed to be used once and then just thrown away it's disposable all right what do you think of when you think of single use then what what are the issues around this well i mean single use is very much uh something people are becoming more aware of at the moment trying to reduce especially plastic mm-hmm. and plastic pollution which is becoming which is very very serious and so serious they say that plastics everywhere you know it's in our clothes it's in our yeah. uh, everything we use um it's even getting into the food chain there's so much plastic in the oceans that the fish are eating these like small microplastics we're yeah. eating the fish we yeah. are ingesting plastic i was in uh on on our honeymoon a couple of years ago we went to California and we went to Monterey and there's a fantastic Mm -hmm. aquarium there and there's like a research facility and stuff like that and they had a big thing about plastic in the ocean and that and that thing about how plastic gets into the food chain is very interesting because obviously when we think of plastic and plastic pollution we probably think of things like plastic bags and other plastic items floating around in the ocean and like fish getting caught in them dolphins getting caught in them and horrible things like that and apparently there's a huge island a huge ball of plastic that's like the size of a country or something in the middle of the ocean yeah um and these things but also the the plastic's been in the system for so long that it gets eroded it gets broken down by you know by the ocean the swirling of the ocean and stuff it gets eroded and broken down and so there's now tiny traces of plastic everywhere mm-hmm. it's in f- fish digest it and it's so it like tiny trace levels of plastic inside fish. And then we're eating the fish. So we're eating the plastic. So it's not just in the ocean. It's all over the place now. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's that's kind of how plastic pollution has become so sort of, uh, you know, embedded in 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 everything now. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of movement now to, to go zero waste or plastic free. There's been some very big campaigns. And I know that's something that I try to do. Yeah. Reduce plastic. You told me a while ago, you said that you you were waging war on plastic. I am waging war on plastic, <laughs> on single-use plastic, yeah. very much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the different ways you can try to avoid it. But it does, it does feel overwhelming. You know, you're mm-hmm. one against this. You know, when you start becoming aware of plastic and single-use plastic, even just things like, you know, bottles of shampoo or water or, or, or you know, anything like this, yeah. you start reducing. And then, you, you know, you go to the shops and you're like, gosh, there's just so much. And Christmas, it's nearly Christmas, mm-hmm. so much plastic. Yeah. Can you just give me some examples of the things you, you do in order to, to try reduce and, plastic? Yeah. Well, um, lots of things. So I started very much with the bathroom. So now we only use solid soap. You mm-hmm. like solid soap? No palm oil. Palm, uh, oil. Um, yeah. Solid shampoo. Um, we, solid shampoo? Yeah. Tell me, what's that? It's just, well, we go to, we're lucky because we live in Paris. We've got quite a lot of options. Mm-hmm. So in Paris, more and more, there are shops that you can refill stuff. Um, but solid shampoo, it's just like a bar of soap. But oh, it's yeah. shampoo. Oh, right. You get okay. it from Lush. Um, so solid shampoo. We use this special um, toothpaste, which we can go and refill the the 
it's like a glass jar. Yeah. Um, refillable, refillable stuff. stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, refilling things like that. I, I use, I can refill the washing up liquid, which we know we use to wash the dishes yeah. and also the laundry stuff like that. So you can refill it. So you keep the same plastic yeah. uh, uh, bottle, right. but you just refill it. I carry reusable straws in my bag. So my son likes a juice with a straw, but I've got some metal straws that I yeah. use, you know, a water bottle always um you know a bag in your bag like a little tote bag to do your shopping made of cotton or something right exactly exactly so stuff like that and just being aware like for my son i try to make sure that we only buy secondhand if it's plastic i buy it secondhand yeah if i can and yeah just trying to kind of keep those you know like we wanted to buy christmas crackers and then we went to buy them. You know, crackers is what you yeah. use at Christmas. You know, one person holds one end and the other the other and you pull and, oh, there's a little present it inside. Goes bang and a little present comes out. And yeah. in fact, it's just rubbish. It's just in yeah. a plastic box and inside's a plastic toy. And like, it's fun for a second, but that plastic, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but we'll be there well past our whole lifetime. So yeah. that little plastic object, it just made me feel sad. So instead, we're going to try and make our own Christmas crackers. They mm. probably won't go bang because it'll be a toilet roll. <laughs> <laughs> you could just say bang when bang! you open it. You go, bang, like that, and that'll do, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just trying to reduce those sort of unnecessary plastic things in your life. But Christmas crackers didn't always go bang. There was probably a period, you know, during the Victorian times when I imagine Christmas crackers first arrived. It's probably during the Victorian period. They probably exploded in the Victorian period. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're probably <laughs> full of cocaine or something, weren't they? Because the, the Victorians were mental. Like They had all sorts of crazy sort of poisonous uh, substances and, and like household products with dangerous narcotics in them and stuff like that. Yeah, so they probably had genuine like gunpowder in their yeah, TNT, plastic explosives in their, in their crackers. But uh, um, yeah, I suppose there must be a way of making a cracking sound that doesn't involve that that whatever that chemical is we'll uh, see but i mean it's a full-time job reducing plastic yeah. is and it's just so easy you know you've forgotten something you you want to drink a water you know pow you buy that bottle of water you yeah. don't think about it but it just makes me feel so sad so i do i really try but it is everywhere just a bit of vocab here so i just thought we'd look at some verbs for what you do with rubbish Mm-hmm. So we're talking about disposable things, but just, just you know, what's what are the expressions we use when we get rid of something? Well, there's one of them, to get rid of something, right? Uh, other things, hold on, to get, I'm writing this in. This I can't write and speak at the same time. I have to say to get rid of some thing, right? And also to throw something away, to chuck something away. Or to chuck something out. Chuck something out as well. I'll add the word out. Yes. Um, also, we've got to discard something and to dispose of something. I yeah. think discard something and dispose of something are slightly more formal sounding expressions. Also, we have the words rubbish and trash. Rubbish is uh, the UK word for just stuff that you don't want anymore that you're throwing away. And trash would be the American English word for the same thing. And then there's litter, which is just rubbish that's thrown on the floor. We'll be coming back to that one. Yeah. Because there's a word relate that relates to litter uh, in this list. So I was going to ask you, um, have you seen the TV show Blue Planet 2? Yes. Yeah. I have. It's a, it's a what is it? David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. Um, sir. David Attenborough. Sir David Attenborough, who's a 
He's a national treasure, isn't he? He certainly is. Dave, yeah. He's the guy who does the voiceovers for all of those BBC nature documentaries. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my audience have heard those, but he's the guy who speaks like this. And he'll, you know, be saying something like, and here in the, I don't know, what, 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 how, let's think of something that David Attenborough could describe. Well, he's always somewhere like in the Brazilian rainforest or in Outer Mongolia. Or... I'm here in the Brazilian rainforest. And it's here that we find a multitude of species of animals. And then there's amazing footage of these animals doing incredible things. Yeah, really up close. And he'll be telling you about some sort of weird insect or some sort of enormous creature. And I mean, just incredible filming. And he always speaks in this kind of way. Because he's yeah. really up close. You get the impression he's just standing. And sometimes he is just standing, you know, the camera pans out and David's there. <laughs> just next, just looking intently. There's like some some stick insects having sex. And, yeah. and it's like, and the, the male stick insect um, clambers on top of the female and procreation begins. And then the camera pans back and he's just standing there rubbing his hands. It's like, David, back off a bit. Let them get a room. Wasn't there drama really recently with... Um, mm. The penguins. Well, I think sometimes, to be honest, when they do Blue Planet and these nature documentaries, they actually do film some things in in studios. Yeah. There are some Sound effects. And they use sound effects and it's quite contrived. It's like, it gives the impression that they're just filming stuff, you know, they're just observing things happening. But sometimes they actually do um, kind of, you know, the hand of the the filmmakers is, is there, you know, not not literally there. Not it's not they don't use puppets. I mean <laughs> that they actually contrive situations in studio environments sometimes. Sure, because they wouldn't get the same quantity like level of shots. But there was a controversy really because the the filmmakers they helped some penguins. They helped What's wrong with helping penguins? Well, you know, nature documentaries you're meant to just observe. Right. You know, you don't get involved with nature if you know the antelope's going to be eaten, you know, tough yeah. for the antelope. Well, they helped some penguins, like the penguins... They got trapped. These penguins got trapped somewhere. Oh. And I know, right? And then they helped. And I think David Attenborough came down and said, it's okay. <laughs> you know, the master spoke. He said it was... Because normally you just watch from a distance. But I think he feels the planet is in such peril yeah. that it was okay to save these penguins. I think they got caught on an ice floe or something. Normally on BBC documentaries, we don't get involved in the animals. We just let them die if necessary. If it makes good television, we will let a penguin die. But in this case, these were very cute penguins. Cute penguins. <laughs> and so we helped them escape from the situation. Um, okay. And that was a scandal? It was big news. You'll have to put a link up to the okay. penguin drama. I just I did put a video here on the page for Blue Planet 2. And there was just a... The reason I'm talking about Blue Planet is because uh, they did a whole episode of the uh, of the series about uh, the plastic pollution of the oceans. And I thought I'd play a couple of minutes of the audio, but I'm not going to just because we don't have time. So anyway, the video you'll see on the page for the episode, you can see some footage and also uh, the voice of David Attenborough talking about uh, the pollution situation. So we talked about how you managed to to cut out plastic from your life. I did find um, something on uh, Greenpeace's website, which just just very simply nine ways to reduce your plastic use. So if you're in, you know, if you're thinking about how to cut out plastic from your life, you've got, you know, things that Amber said, like you can carry a reusable bottle, um, say no to plastic straws, just avoid because apparently they're terrible. 
because they float and and stuff like that. Yeah, there's horrible videos of like a of a turtle having a plastic straw oh. pulled out his nose. I mean, that said, there isn't a need for plastic straws. Some people do need them. Yeah. So some people with disabilities, that's the only way they can yeah. really drink. So they're really useful. I mean, there's a space for plastic. It's a really important and useful substance. Yes. But it's how we use it. And and with this word, that sort of single use, that's the problem. Yeah. Plastic, there's a place for plastic, but there's no place for us, you and me, using a plastic yeah. straw or using a carrier bag. In many cases, it's un- it's not necessary. Refill stations for detergents, as you said. Uh, avoid disposable cutlery. Get your milk delivered instead of buying it in a plastic uh, bottle. In the UK, you can have your milk delivered. Yeah. Avoid microbeads. Yeah. Microbeads are the uh, tiny bits of plastic which are often used in exfoliating products. You know, we have these products in the in the bathroom that we use to wash our face and to exfoliate. That means to rub away uh, dead skin. Exfoliating is a good way to keep your skin healthy. But many of those products, the exfoliating agent is actually plastic. They're tiny little bits of plastic. So if possible, buy exfoliating products that use natural things instead of plastic uh, mm-hmm. microbeads and just carry a carry a shopping bag around uh there you go just a few small changes they say you know it's reduce reuse recycle the first action is reduce mm. reduce your plastic consumption all consumption to be honest yeah okay i'm gonna have to go on then some, move on have to make some changes moving on the next word is backstop Oh, oh, God. So uh, this is a noun and it's a system that will come into effect if no other arrangement is made. It's kind of like a plan B. Okay. Now, when you think when you hear the word backstop, what do you think of? Brexit. Brexit. Exactly. That's why this word has been used so much this year. So we think of Brexit and we think of the Northern Ireland problem and the fact that everyone keeps saying that we need a backstop in the event of a no deal. A backstop then is a kind of fallback position or a plan B that we can use if no other arrangement is made. And we, we, you know, we think of things like the Irish backstop, the border backstop, the Brexit backstop. Do you know where the phrase comes from originally? No. It comes from baseball. Oh. So it is something that's been used. It's, it's obviously been around bef- since before Brexit. Um, and uh, the backstop is basically, you know, in baseball, they have a diamond Mm-hmm. And the pitcher stands in the middle of the diamond. He throws the ball at the hitter uh, who's got the baseball bat. And behind the hitter, there's a catcher, mm-hmm. right? But if the hitter, miss, if the guy misses the ball and the catcher doesn't catch the ball, the ball just flies into a net behind them. So it's a net that's put up just so that the ball doesn't go flying away. Yeah. And so it's just like a, a net, a safety net, okay? Um, um, so can you... Can you <laughs> Can you explain the Northern Ireland border issue and why we need a backstop? Oh, my gosh. This is so intense and it's just got even more intense. Well, the, the problem is that the island of Ireland is divided. Is divided. There's the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And Northern Ireland is part of the UK. So it has the same rules as, you know, as, as the rest of the UK. And Ireland is separate. And Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, is part of the EU. And so is the UK at the moment. And so is the UK at the moment. But the UK is leaving. And so where there was no border between the UK part of the island of Ireland <laughs> and the Republic of Ireland, now there may need to be a border. Yeah. And that's very difficult because Ireland, until very recently, has been quite a troubled and divided place. And um, there's been incredible violence and problems. And it's sort of 
got it together and everything's become a bit calmer yeah. and it will be i think people will be really upset if there's this border there just like emotionally but mm-hmm. also logistically that border yeah. goes down the middle of streets you know imagine having to cross over to get your bread from the baker and it's in the eu and now you need a passport yeah so exactly so in the event of the uk leaving the e- eu there will be a land border between the eu and not the eu and it will be across the, the the border between northern ireland and the republic of ireland as you said and yeah if that border is hard a hard border and it would have to be a hard border probably because the eu is not just going to have like a back door left open they're no. not just going to leave the door open because one of the sent- most one of the the conditions of the eu is that you're in or you're out they they can't just have a door half open so you know there needs to be a hard border in order to protect the free trade zone and yeah. all the other you know aspects of of being the eu so it, the eu wouldn't hmm. so the backstop then the backstop is the fact that the, the, the government and Theresa May keeps guaranteeing that there will be a some kind of fallback position. So if the if the the, the UK doesn't get some kind of satisfactory deal mm. where they work out some kind of solution to this border issue, that Theresa May has said, "Don't worry, everyone, we've guaranteed a a, a Northern Ireland backstop." So they've said, we've got a fallback position. We've got a safety net for this situation. So don't worry, it's not all going to fall apart. Um, I don't know what that backstop will be. I mean, they keep saying there'll be a border in the sea, you know, that kind of thing. So there'll be a a border Mm. between mainland UK and sort of Irish UK. But what that means, though, is what what that means is that there will be some sort of soft border between Northern Ireland in the UK, not in the EU, and the Republic of Ireland, EU. But then, you see, that's not very satisfying because the EU will say, we don't like that idea because we don't want some soft, we don't want a little, as I said, like a little back door that's left open. We don't, we can't have a soft border in one little part because then people are just going to be moving to and fro, product, goods and stuff are going to be moving to and fro without being checked. So that's no good. And so the EU wouldn't be very happy with that. But also the UK wouldn't be very happy with that because of Scotland. Because mm. Scotland will look at Northern Ireland and they'll say, how come Northern Ireland's got this special deal? How come Northern Ireland is able... To, the people of Northern Ireland are able to just drift in and out of the EU because of this soft border? And mm. Scotland will be like, we don't want to be... We, you know, we don't want to be out of the EU. We'd like to have a special deal as well, please. And so this could provoke Scotland, you know, getting out of the UK and trying to get back into the EU. So the whole thing could compromise the UK as well. So the backstop is not a very satisfactory Well, nothing idea. is. I mean, no. it was a terrible idea to leave. I mean, and we've just seen it. You know, Theresa May has just been voted down. It's all gone wrong. So we don't even know what's going to happen. There may yet be a people's vote. They may still change their mind. (laughs) That's right. Let's not count it out. So there you go. So that's the backstop, basically. And the word backstop could be used in other situations, too. Like, I don't know, if if you are trying to negotiate some business deal and you need... Uh, you might talk about a backstop as a as a you know a plan B fallback position solution. So, yeah. so the word backstop has entered our vocabulary mainly because of that Brexit situation. But I think people are now using the word backstop uh, uh, too in in other parts of uh, their lives. So the next one, Amber, the floss, the floss. Now this was a word I didn't know. 
Yeah, me too. I have to admit, this one passed me by completely. I, I knew what it was. Did I'd you? seen it being done. You'd it, seen the floss. It's the backpack boy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him do it. And then I was doing some drama with the kids at school and they started flossing uh, or the flossing. Yeah. And I flossing. said to them, do you know there's a word for this dance? And they all said, yes, the floss. They all knew. Right. They're nine. <laughs> <laughs> They're all nine years old. So you, you, were, aware, you were aware of this. Uh, you'd seen them doing it. I've seen the dance. You'd seen the dance, but you didn't know the name until maybe you saw this list. Until I saw this list, okay. yeah. Um, I hadn't seen the dance. Oh. But the thing, the reason is because I am both too old and yet too young at the same time or something. Or, or what? How are you I, I, too Okay, young? it's mainly that I'm too old, obviously. <laughs> Very much you're too old. <laughs> Not that I'm too young. That doesn't work. But what I mean is that obviously I'm too old because... It's not something my generation or my peer group are, are doing or talking about. But the reason I said it was too young, which actually I've realised doesn't work, because you know about it and you're younger than me, uh, is that um, um, that I my my daughter is not old enough. So it's my it's not that I'm too young; it's that my daughter yes. is too young. That she she's too young to know about it too. So if I, if if my daughter was older, I'd probably have encountered the floss. Maybe, but I I'm sure I encountered it scrolling, scrolling on social through media, the internet. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, the the by the way, in, some of you listening will know you, you'll know what this is. So the floss is it's a noun, obviously, and it's a dance in which people twist their hips. Do they twist their hip? I don't think twisting is involved. They're not twisting. They they. Um, what did I, I what did I wrote? They swing. You swing your hips. Mm. Uh, so it's a dance in which people swing their hips in one direction while swinging their arms in the opposite direction with their fists closed. Okay, so it's the, it's it's the latest dance craze. We've had. It's just the latest in a very long line of dance crazes that have, we've had over the years, starting probably back in the 50s and 60s. No, but I mean, if they've not seen the video of Backpack Boy, they need to. Because yeah. it's not it's just the intention. His sort of weird staring eyes, his sort of intense... It's, and it's such a strange dance. Can you describe what it looks like? It's like your sort of your body's forward, like your feet are still, so you're not moving. You're swinging your hips, like you said, from side to side, and your arms in the opposite side, and they sort of go in front and behind your body. You kind of hold your arms out straight with your fists mm. clenched, but you hold them down. Like you, probably the starting position would be you hold your arms straight, but sort of vertical by the sides of your body. By the sides of your body, but maybe you're. Let's say your one of the arms is out front, and one of the other arms is out the back. And then you swing at your arms up to one side while swinging your hips in the opposite direction. Luke is trying to actually do it. He's sitting <laughs> on a chair, chair dancing, holding a microphone, trying to, <laughs> trying to floss. Okay. And then you let your arms swing back down to the original position while your hips swing the other way. And then you let your arms swing back up. The other way but it's 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 more complicated than it sounds and it's more complicated than it seems but you'll i'll i'll post the video of backpack boy which you might have seen yeah uh, i'll put that video on the page did backpack boy did backpack say that again did backpack boy invent that dance i don't know if he invented it but the, as far as i can tell the story goes like this that this kid called backpack boy who does have a name Sure. His parents didn't call him Backpack Boy. He just happened to have a backpack. He just happened to be wearing a backpack and is a boy. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this kid who's known as Backpack Boy released a video onto YouTube of himself doing the floss, 
dance. And that video sort of went viral a bit. But then it really kicked off when he was featured on Saturday Night Live. And I think he was involved in a in a, an appearance by Katy Perry on Saturday Night Live. And she did some music on the show. And I think she invited Backpack Boy to join her. And they probably both did the floss on Saturday Night Live, which is this very famous, uh, very popular American comedy show. And so from that moment, that's when it went really viral. Yeah. When Backpack Boy and Katy Perry were doing the floss on Saturday Night Live. And from then... Uh, probably lots of kids knew about it already, but I think that's when probably the parents and everyone else started mm. to realise it was a thing. And then on YouTube, it became one of these things that, you know, people started uploading tutorial videos onto YouTube of how to do the floss. Because you can imagine, you can just I can just imagine kids going, yeah, yeah, it's the floss. And parents going, what's the floss? And kids doing the floss and parents trying to do it, trying to do it and getting it wrong. Yeah, that's me. Right? Is that, yeah. yeah. I was actually here earlier on before you arrived trying to do it myself. Trying to floss. Trying to floss. And I thought, God, I hope no one sees me doing this. Because <laughs> they're going to think, oh, look, another another middle-aged guy. Because let's be honest, I'm middle-aged now, trying to do the floss in his own, in his apartment with no one looking. Very embarrassing. <laughs> and um, so, um, so, yeah. So then it went viral with people doing tutorial videos of it on YouTube. And then everyone's doing it. This is the latest dance craze. Yeah. Because for us, floss just meant, you know, to floss your teeth. Yeah, flossing your teeth. I think that's that the name of the dance is related to the of to flossing your teeth. The action. Flossing your teeth. Yeah, the action of flossing your teeth. Flossing flossing your teeth, listeners, which you may know, obviously brushing your teeth. <laughs> you brush your teeth. But sometimes if you want to clean between your teeth, you'll get like this stuff called floss, which is like a sort of a, a string, a stringy stuff, and you somehow squeeze it between your teeth and you move this the floss forward and back cleaning between your teeth right Mm -hmm. and the the floss dance is a bit like that in a sense that if you can imagine there being string between your 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 fists it's a bit like dancing while flossing a huge imaginary set of teeth in front of your body's the the tooth yeah it's yeah it's like your hips are the uh, the teeth and your arms are flossing the the hips as you move from side to side very peculiar it is very peculiar but you know it's just uh, one of many dance crazes and probably i mean it's better than tectonic what's tectonic is that it i don't know it was that french dance craze lots of wiggly arms oh yeah uh, no i don't know about that one. Oh, it was a nightmare i was thinking of uh, other dance crazes over the years there's the the twist the locomotion we're going back all the way I to mean, the we are. early 1960s here but you know just dance crazes are nothing new they are you know they've probably for as long as i don't know when dance crazes would have begun probably with the media probably as soon as the media became a thing uh i don't know but anyway the ones i can remember the the twist you know the yeah. locomotion the mashed potato the macarena that well i'm coming to that sorry this is in chronological order oh sorry the watusi don't know that uh, do you know uh the beatles white album yeah yeah there's a there's a track called revolution nine uh-huh. which is like this um abstract um um avant-garde sound experiment okay and in it's something like 10 minutes long and it's just noises and voices coming in and out it's amazing and um, you say so. it, yeah it is it's like the orb bef- you know before the orb i don't know if you ever listened to the orb <laughs> you know i don't listen to music yeah it's just noise to just you noise. isn't it <laughs> anyway um but in in revolution nine there is a voice at one point it's john lennon's voice just naming dances and he's going the watusi the twist <laughs> 
you know, it's that's just what it made me think of that. Number nine. Number nine. The Watusi. The twist. Eldorado. Take this, brother. May it serve you well. That's just what it made me think of that. Number nine. Number nine. Anyway, the twist, the locomotion, the mashed potato, the Watusi, the funky chicken. Yeah. The hitchhike. Yeah. The YMCA. The running man. Yes. Uh, obviously, the robot from the 80s. The moonwalk. Yeah. Famous, you know, made famous by Michael Jackson. The Macarena. Mm-hmm. Gangnam style. Yeah. Etc. Etc. Yeah, there's a lot. And now flossing, which is probably in by by January 2019, it'll be a thing of the past. I sure. would say. Okay, so there you go. That's 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 the floss. That's the floss. Let's move on to the next word, which is the word gammon. Gammon. Um, and it's defined here as a noun. And a gammon is a person, typically male, middle-aged, and white. British, I would say, mm. with reactionary views, reactionary opinions, especially someone who supports the withdrawal of Britain from the European Union. So it's a certain type of British Brexiter uh, from a certain age group with a certain kind of an appearance with certain attitudes and opinions. Okay, it's a pejorative term. So it's a, a negative, it's like a, a term of criticism or arguably a term of abuse a pejorative term describing a certain type of person. We should probably, first of all, say what the other meaning of gammon is. It's a big leg of ham, isn't it? Gammon is a type of ham, yeah. It's a big cooked leg of ham, which is then cut into kind of steaks or thick slices. Mm. And it's this pink ham. And it's kind of really, really, a really common like pub food. Yeah. Gammon and chips, gammon steak and chips, maybe with an egg. And maybe with a with a a bit of pineapple on it as yeah. well. So gammon steak is like a it's, it's like a big slab of cooked pork. And I mean, what they're making reference to is just the way they look. Yeah, these white sort of middle aged men who get a bit cross and shouty and red and pink, or maybe enjoy a bit too much beer, have gone a bit red. Yeah, because face drinking alcohol can can sort of damage the capillaries. Uh, in the skin of of your face and so yeah these middle-aged men who probably enjoy a drink in the pub they might have that kind of pink complexion yeah um which makes them look a bit like gammon and they're also kind of they can be a bit fat you know a bit chubby as well and the red in the face and as you said they can get a bit shouty a bit angry yeah and generally they have that those sorts of reactionary views about things yeah like what for example what would a gammon think about the the new female doctor who well i mean you know they're traditional like there's no room for a lady in doctor who (laughs) (laughs) not gonna like it are they right and brexit they're you know they're most of the time you see them on tv you see them on tv shows like question time yeah which is where you get a panel of people including politicians and maybe other public figures and the, the there's a an audience of the public and the public are invited to ask questions and say things um and there's always a gammon in the audience it's always a gammon pointing man. his finger and talking about how you know like what what was it i thought something like this we we got through world war Two, so we can get through brexit 
It's yeah. the sort of thing a gammon would say. Always referencing World War II and how we managed to survive that. We can survive this. We need to just get on with it. It's like, mate, a lot of people didn't get through World War II, did they? That's a terrible comparison. Yeah, sort of blustery. And gammon is, I mean, let's not forget, it's pig. So, yeah. you know, it's sort of implying they're a bit of a pig. You know, there's that other expression, a chauvinistic pig. Right. It's it's not a very nice word, is it, really? It's not. I mean, it's quite a delicious food. But, I mean, it's not nice to be compared to gammon. There's that pinkness, which implies a sort of red in the face or pink in the face and blustery and just, I don't know, old man. There is a backlash to the word gammon. By the way, who uses gammon? Who Who would... Who would be using the word gammon to describe people like this? I'm not sure. Like young, woke people? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Younger people, people who probably are a bit more liberal in their, in their opinions, people who are kind of slightly horrified by, the, uh, by those reactionary views that, that some people have. Trying to find something to sort of... Because these men, these middle-aged white men, are the people of power. They're the voices of power. And even those right-wing reactionary ones, they might not actually have the power, but they are still part of that group. And there are very few names to, to, to sort of get back at them and say, look, you, you are part of a group. Mm. You know, I'm identifying you as a group and an unlikable group. Yeah. Um, so maybe it comes from that. But you know, the, the, okay, let's talk about the gammon backlash. So there is a backlash to this term obviously from the people targeted from by the gammons. The, from the gammons themselves <laughs> and and maybe even from other people who just have have uh, who who just think it's a, a term of abuse for for whatever reason sure um but uh, yeah the backlash so so basically the the argument is that it's not nice to to make this statement and and it's it's ironic that we're pointing at these gammons who um themselves we don't like them because they uh might have racist views and they might also use certain terms of abuse to describe people that they don't like they might be quite uh, rude about certain ethnic groups or women or whatever and they would use rude buzzwords themselves yeah and so their argument is well uh you're just doing the same thing that that that, that gammon is a term of racist abuse essentially and that in this case the, the group being targeted is it just happens to be uh, middle-aged uh, white men and so if you're if if you can use this term of abuse for this group you know why can't they use terms of abuse for other groups you know like what's Which the difference is... between calling someone a gammon and calling someone I don't know what the word might be uh, a very rude word like you know another ethnic slur sure it's an ethnic slur isn't it I mean is it a slur isn't it well what's how is it not? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would agree with the principle. There's no point in like name calling. Yeah. doesn't get us anywhere. Yeah, that's it. It's um, basically name calling. Yeah. So name calling doesn't really get us anywhere. The question is, it's like, are these the people in power? Is it easier? You know, should they have a name? Is do yeah. they deserve a name? I, I mean, I'd say no. I'd say I wouldn't use something like that. I don't think there is a place for name calling. Yeah. Uh, even if you're sort of attacking the. The, the people of power, arguably, yeah. they have more power. Well, do they? Do because, they, though? Because you know, they do tend to be... A, often, we do think of it as maybe a bit more of a working class yeah, group. Yeah, the, because these guys who are called gammons, although they are white men, and we always think the white men are the, the ones in power, these guys are from lower middle class or working class backgrounds. Yeah. And from their point of view, 
the they they don't feel particularly empowered by what Boris they Johnson s- is he a gammon? No, I don't. I don't know if Boris Johnson is a gammon, but probably he, the gammons love him. Probably, I don't think he counts as a gammon because he's just he's of a different world. He's he's a public school boy. He's an old Etonian. He's a member of the establishment. There's a di- there are different words for Boris but Johnson. He's a white. Pink, pink face, pink face, yeah. reactionary. So maybe, yeah, man. maybe he's a gammon. But I think the the gammons that the people who are usually called gammons come from a different world to Boris Johnson. I, I think, but I think Boris Johnson is appealing to the gammons. He's doing okay. it. He's doing it on purpose. But he's not of them. He's not from their world. He's from a very rich, very pri- very rich and very privileged background. He comes from um, uh, this elite uh, establishment kind of world. I've not heard this word being used, and I don't really think it's a great idea to a name call i don't think it's ever really uh, there's a space for it but the fact that this word has been chosen implies that people are looking for that this group has emerged maybe mm. so that that people are looking for a name or a way of classifying them i wouldn't want to call them gammons it does feel, feel disrespectful to people but it's interesting that this group is being identified and yeah. that a word is being assigned to them and enough i mean like i said i've not heard it used myself i think the thing is that like you can imagine like um, some some people watching question time on tv and and seeing the audience and when one middle-aged guy with pinkish skin and slightly angry views says something you can just imagine turning to your friend going oh, a lot of gammons in the audience yeah you know because as you said it is a recognizable group I don't. I wouldn't proudly go around pointing at people and calling them gammons. I think it's well, it's reductive. I'm a bit uncomfortable with the idea, sure. but it is quite a convenient word. I mean, I like it. I am definitely going to be thinking it to myself smugly, <laughs> yeah. but I wouldn't use it. And the problem with any words, slurs, or anything like this is it reduces people. It reduces yeah. people. And it reduces the argument, and that's never a good idea. I think that yeah, if we're going to be, if we're going to make genuine progress in the the messy situation we've got in the UK at the moment, then we do probably need to be a bit more grown up and, and, and try to, instead of just objectifying people with names like this, we probably need to actually think, well, we should listen to these people a bit. And if yeah. we don't agree with their opinions, we need to challenge them on their opinions rather than just calling them gammons and telling them to fuck off. You yeah, know? precisely. Um, I, I just found a little uh, imaginary mm-hmm. dialogue from the Urban Dictionary when okay. I was just looking for, looking for stuff about gammons on, the, on the internet. And so this is just like a little dialogue that you could imagine happening between a Leave voter and a Remain voter. I don't think this is a dialogue that's ever happened. It's just imaginary. Do you so want the, to... Should we read it? Yeah, so you could be the Leave voter. Okay. Um, oh, there's too many Polish... Well, no, I'll be the Leave voter. Be I'll, the... Be the, I'll be the so-called gammon. Okay, you, you be the be gammon. The, you'll be the Remain voter. So I'll go, there's too many Polish people in Britain and they're all bloody benefit scroungers which means that they're just taking our social security money and they're not working. There's too many bloody Polish people in Britain. They're all bloody benefit scroungers. That's such a gammon statement to make. And then I'd say, oh, that's so racist. So much for the tolerant left. Okay, so, you know, the idea that that's suggesting that it's ironic that a gammon or one of these people would get upset about being called a gammon when that's exactly the sort of thing that they they would do. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's like the shoe is on the other foot. They're getting a taste of their own medicine. And that's where we're going to leave that, uh, yes. that word, okay? 
So uh, we'll move on to the next one, which uh, which is what, Amber? Gaslight. Gaslight. Which is a word that's come up before on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we, uh, we, we, we talked about gaslighting before. F- famously? I, don't, I would say famously because I met some listeners and they were laughing about the expression gaslighting. And there was also Hobson's Choice. Hobson's Choice, and, yes. And also Burlap Sack. Which, and you know, those words, I keep seeing them. That's the point, right? So that's the point that uh, we talked about gaslighting before because it was, we talked about it as an example of a word that we weren't really aware of before, but which we learnt for some reason. And then once we learnt it, we started seeing it everywhere. But and gaslighting, I, I am seeing more and more. Yeah, me too. I'm really, and I find it so interesting. So it's like, how funny that we'd talked about it and now that it's, it is and, being used. And now here, yeah, we talked about it a, a year or two ago, a couple yeah. of years ago. Uh, as a word that we'd noticed and then boom here it is in the collins list of words of the year for 2008 gaslighting mm. or the verb being to gaslight someone and so what does it mean well it's a, a verb uh, the the noun form would be gaslighting and it means to attempt to manipulate a person by continually presenting them with false information until they doubt their sanity so it's a way of manipulating a person by making them think that they're going crazy yeah Okay, so this word has come up on the podcast before, as I said, as we said, it's almost as if us talking about it brought it back to the popular consciousness, Amber. I mean, maybe. I think we're obviously the ones who are responsible for the re-emerge or the emergence of this word. Yes. Um, uh, he said, jokingly, I'm not being serious about that. Um, so, gaslighting. Have you ever been gaslighted? Do you know any cases of it? Can we think of some examples of gaslighting? Well, it's from that movie, isn't it? That word comes directly from the film, which is where it happens. Yeah. The husband tries to convince the wife she's going crazy. Um, Do you know how? Do you know how he does that? Well, because it's in, it's about the lights. Like, I can't remember the, the story. You remember, do you? I think that, that yeah, there's a movie in which uh, one of the characters tries to make his wife, he tries to manipulate his wife, mm. making her crazy in order to, I don't know, do something. I don't know what he's doing, but uh, we're going to find out. I'm going to Am- find out. Now. Amber is Amber is um, googling it right now and see if she, seeing if we can find out the origin of gaslighting and what that movie was all about. Uh, I found something from the Guardian while searching for examples of, of gaslighting, and uh, I found a story about Mel B. Mel B. from the Spice Girls. She was Scary Spice in the Spice mm. Girls. Uh, scary Spice. She was called that because she was kind of so confident and like um, like uh, sexually dominant. And, and so she was Scary Spice. Rawr, right? Now, uh, Scary Spice or Mel B. Um, I don't know what her... F- Melanie Brown is her name. The story is that she basically was talking about how she has just got out of a very difficult and potent- and I think abusive relationship. Yeah. And she was saying that her boyfriend was gaslighting her. Mm. Basically, he was making her think that she was crazy mm-hmm. while... So basically, he was being a real shit to her. This is what the story said. Yeah. That he was being abusive to her or whatever. and She was unhappy, but because he was making her think that she was losing it, she felt like she didn't have the right to be unhappy. She didn't have the right to complain. Uh, because he was manipulating her, making her think that that uh, you know. It's, uh, let me f- see if I can find the uh, the um, the extract. So, 
She was saying, she, she, she said, in her memoir, Brutally Honest, Melanie Brown reveals that her marriage could not have been more unhappy. So it was actually a marriage. She claims that her husband was abusive and that she could only get through the day by snorting cocaine for breakfast. Right. So she ended up being dependent on drugs. Um, this is this was her way of like self-medicating during this unhappy period. And uh, had she not finally gathered the courage to leave, she believes that she may well have ended up dead. Her behavior was very self-destructive. Uh, Melanie Brown says that she didn't know the word back then, but she thinks she was a classic victim of gaslighting which means being made to feel so small, stupid and in, and inadequate that she doubted her own sanity. I think it's often used in context of relationships. Well, exactly. Well, I'm going to tell you what I've just found. Yeah. So the term originates um, from this film from the... Um, in, from 1938, as which was originally a play, um, in the story, a husband attempts to convince his wife and others that she is insane by manipulating small elements of their environment and insisting that she is mistakenly remembering things uh, incorrectly or delusional. When she points out these changes, the original title stems from the dimming of the gaslights in the house that happened when the husband was using gaslights in the sealed off attic above while searching for the jewels belonging to a woman whom he had murdered. So that was it. You know, he's going upstairs and using the lights. And because he's using the lights upstairs, her lights are dimming. He's sort of like using up the gas supply mm. in the building. Um, because her lights are dimming. She works out that he's actually manipulating her. He, She realises it. It's because these gas lights dim that she does in the end work out that she's not insane and that he is up to no good. He's, he's a sort of murderer and a he's thief. He's been manipulating her. So this whole situation, yeah. which comes from a, a play or a film called The Gaslight or Gaslighting or... Yeah, Gaslight. Gaslight was Known the name as of the... Angel Street in the United States. Okay. So that play, that's where the word gaslighting comes from, which is basically manipulating someone by making them think that they are losing their mind. Yeah. And it, yeah, I think it comes from relationships. Yeah. I can ima- easily imagine a relationship where, let's say, one of the people in the relationship is very unhappy and they want to leave and they, and they, maybe they've, they see their friend and the friend is like, what's the matter? You seem so unhappy. And they're like, I don't know. I'm just un- so unhappy. I think it's the relationship. We argue all the time. Um, and, and the friend is, you know, and it turns out, that this person is unhappy because the other person is being really mean and really yeah. abusive. But the person who's, you know, your friend who's upset uh, doesn't feel confident enough to actually say act to her partner, you're being abusive and I want out of this relationship. Mm. Instead, they because their confidence has been undermined so much, they feel like maybe they're the ones who are wrong. Yeah. You know, so, I, I know someone who was in a relationship like this. Yeah, it's just like an abusive relationship. Yeah, this I know a guy who was in a relationship and the girl uh, was basically... Neither of them were happy. It was a mm. horrible relationship. But neither of them were felt like they were in a position to stop the relationship. I think the girl, for her, it was convenient to be in the relationship for whatever reason because of the living arrangement they had. Um, but she was going on and on about how he was the abusive one mm. and how he had these issues and he was like the, sh- the, 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 the bad guy in the situation. But in the end, 
No, it was. It, it, she was just as uh, responsible for the yeah. terrible uh, misery that they were living in, and that see, you know, to an extent, you could you could argue that she was gaslighting him, in sure. the sense that he was going around thinking, "I'm terrible, I'm awful," and, and yet I don't, I can't seem to make this relationship work. Mm. I can't make it better, and it's all my fault. Is what he was thinking. Poor dude. But it's, it wasn't his fault. Completely. Did they break up? Yeah, they broke up. It's Phew. like it's all okay now. Yeah, yeah but. Whew. Yeah, but that's an example of gaslighting. Yeah. Um, so there you go, folks. That's gaslighting, which obviously is a word that we invented on the podcast sure. a few years ago. And we uh, popularised it. Uh, we didn't really, of course. No. Listeners. The next one is, a, oh, this is a big one. Yes. I did. Uh, so the next one is, is Me Too. Yes, Me Too. Hashtag. Hashtag Me Too, um, which is an adjective meaning denoting a cultural movement that seeks to expose and eradicate predatory sexual behavior especially in the workplace um i've i talked about it on the podcast well a little bit with sarah not that much actually but i talked about it with an english teacher called jessica Mm -hmm. from honestly english which is an english teaching website we talked about me too and the me too movement then so i have talked about it a bit we could talk about it all day that's the thing it's a big subject we could i mean i think it's um i think most people are aware of it Mm -hmm. i mean it's an interesting thing it's a great thing yeah i think it's progress though we could go on about it forever okay okay me too let's move on yes uh the next word is plogging plogging did you know about plogging i did yeah what is plogging so listeners if you don't know what plogging is and you would like to know you'll have to listen to the next part of this series which will be part six in fact that's episode 566 coming very soon Possibly available now, in fact, depending on when you're listening to this. So that was us talking about single use, the Northern Ireland backstop, the the floss, gammons, gaslighting and Me Too. Not much conversation between us about Me Too there, mainly because I've already talked about it on the podcast recently and I don't want to go over the same ground again. You can go back to episode 556 with Jessica Beck if you want to hear more. We talked positively about it. Obviously, Me Too is a complex issue which has its critics as well for various reasons. For example, I've put a video on the page for this episode in which a few comedians from the States talk about the Me Too movement. Um, Bill Burr is one of those comedians. Uh, They talk about the Me Too movement in a more critical manner, not just ranting against it for whatever reason, but having an intelligent conversation expressing some degrees of scepticism and all that. So if you want, have a look at the video. It's on the page for this episode. Otherwise, just stick around for the next part in which we talk about plogging and explain what it is. And there's nothing sexual about it, I think. I'm almost certain there's nothing sexual about it. So you'll hear us talking about plogging and tons of other stuff. Um, Thank you for listening to my podcast. That's pretty much the end of this episode. Just a couple of reminders before we finish. Uh, The first thing is I'd like to remind you to become a premium Lepster and get access to the growing library of premium episodes of this podcast. When you sign up with LEP Premium, you get all of the premium episodes that I've done so far, plus any new ones that come out later as well. Um, The premium episodes all focus on language. Often in those episodes, I use conversations that I've had on the podcast. I mine them for vocabulary and grammar, like dig out 
the vocab and grammar, and then present that language to you in the clearest and most helpful way that I can. Uh, They're basically English lessons from me with pronunciation drills, PDF worksheets with tests and stuff and all that. When you sign up for a premium, you get access to all those episodes, plus all the new ones, which come out every month. A phrasal verb a day is now in the premium package, which means new mini phrasal verb lessons on a regular basis, plus little bonuses here and there, like video versions of some episodes of the podcast and so on. That's all available for the price of a coffee or tea or beer once a month. And by the way, I don't necessarily use that to drink coffee, tea or beer. The money actually helps to support this podcast and the time that I spend on it. Uh, To sign up, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. You can get all the premium content in the Luke's English podcast app on your phone or you can get it online. Also, sign up to the mailing list on my website to get a link in your inbox whenever I upload normal episodes of this podcast. Okay, Uh, you can then use that link to go straight to the episode page where you'll find the notes, scripts, videos and the comment section. Uh, Also, if I post website only content, you'll get emails for that too. And sometimes I do upload website only stuff, including music mixes, DVD commentaries and other stuff that doesn't go on the podcast. Just go to the website and sign up for the mailing list there. It's free. Also, if you check the episode archive on the website, you can see all of the stuff I've uploaded. It's every episode of the podcast, plus other things like website-only content, times when I've appeared on other people's podcasts. And you can go through the episode archive, which is long, but it's all there. You can go through the archive and you can sort of probably discover things that you may not have heard if you're just a subscriber to the podcast. Okay, and that's on my website at teacherluke.co.uk. The website probably needs an upgrade. That's one of the things I'd like to do. Now that I've got a premium subscription, I'm hoping to upgrade the website and make a few changes, make it look a bit more modern. It still looks a bit like a blog. Uh, But anyway, that's all stuff probably for for next year. Um, So that's it then. I'll speak to you again very soon in the sixth and final part of this episode, and then you can hear all about plogging and what the hell it actually is. Uh, Thanks, uh, finally, to Amber for being my guest in this episode. I'll speak to you in the next part. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.